Psalm 13. If I sound a little congested, I'm actually on the mend from a cold I was fighting this week. Um, hopefully it won't be too distracting, and hopefully I'm, I won't put you to sleep either. But uh, Psalm 13 this morning, and I want to give a little bit of a, uh, just a practical counsel, practical uh, advice message, and uh, just some simple thoughts today that I hope will be a help to you. And uh, just an encouragement as we consider life's challenges and things that we face in life. And, and uh, many times when I'm uh, in uh, doing counseling sessions, uh, there might be some of, the, some of the themes that start popping up with what those folks are going through. And, and um, many times it might lead me to a place where I think, uh, you know, maybe there are other folks that might benefit from some of these thoughts and some of these things that came out of these sessions and, and from the scriptures, of course, being our foundation. Psalm 13, the Bible tells us, as uh, David uh, prays a prayer and uh, makes it a song, he says, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Lighten mine eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemies say I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord, because he hath dealt bountifully with me. And let's have a word of prayer this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together to meet on this Lord's Day. Father, I believe everyone's here for a purpose, for a reason. And Lord, may, uh, may you use your word this morning to encourage us, to help us, to give us uh, some instruction, and maybe even to chasten us a bit. Father, I pray that I would just say what you'd have me to say today, and that your people would be helped. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever been so down that you just felt like you just couldn't pick yourself back up? Maybe it's connected to a trial, maybe it's connected to a, a difficulty you're facing, or maybe there's no reason at all. You just, you just feel down, you just feel melancholy, like, uh, like uh, there's nothing I can point to, I just, I'm having trouble here. You know, one of the characters I like to uh, uh, read, read about and uh, through history who has really been a, even a help to me, his writings all these years later is uh, uh, known as the Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon from the 1800s. And um, even to this day, probably the most published preacher in history. And um, Charles Spurgeon was known for struggling with depression. He had uh, some physical ailments. He uh, had severe um, time, seasons of gout where he could hardly even walk. Um, he was depressed. He would, he would go through these trials even as a, in, his, uh, in his early 20s, a very successful young preacher. He'd go through days on end where he described it uh, just uncontrollable weeping for no reason. And he just would, would be stuck in these situations and learn really what David had to learn many times and how to encourage himself in the Lord. But, but you've been, if you've been there, you might feel like David felt and, you know, God, how long are you going to forgive me? I'm stuck here. I feel like you've, you've turned your back. I feel like, uh, you know, I'm praying, but I get nothing back. I feel like I'm, I'm trying to live the Christian life, and there's no response. I'm, I'm struggling in this thing. You just can't pick yourself up. You know, one of the messages of Hollywood, I call it this, the, the gospel according to Hollywood or the gospel according to Disney, is to follow your heart. How many of you uh, have kind of seen the theme, right? Follow your heart. 
In fact, it really goes all the way back to even Pinocchio. Let your conscience be your guide. Hey, that's great if you've got a godly conscience. But, uh, but typically, when you follow your heart, you run into all kinds of problems. All kinds of bad choices are made from following the heart. In fact, Jeremiah 17.9 tells us the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. Who can know it? You know, you, do, you can't even know your own heart. Um, your heart will deceive you. Your feelings can lead you astray, and, and uh, you, know, you can make these bad decisions, and, and, uh, and especially in those times of despair, in those times of darkness. Uh, one thing that helped me years ago, someone once said, never doubt in the night what God made clear in the light. Many times when things are going right and you've just heard clearly from the Lord and you've been walking with Him and He gives you a conviction about something uh, and, then, and then later on things aren't quite going uh, your way and you start questioning these decisions. And, and listen, those are not the times, those valleys are not the times to, to make uh, rash decisions, to make life-altering choices, to even question what you've had settled in your mind previously. Because your heart will deceive you in those times. So you don't follow your heart, you ought to lead your heart. You lead your heart. You don't follow it, you lead it. And, uh, you know, the reality is there is something that exposes the heart of man. The Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Piercing the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God will expose the heart every time. The word of God brings light to it. God knows you more than, better than you know you. So what do we do? We must lead our heart and we must lead it with truth. I see in this text here and this passage uh, um, um, uh, a very foolish accusation is made. In uh, verse number one, David prays to God, How long will thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? Let me ask you this. Did God forget David? Is God hiding from David? There was a little less confident in the nose that in the second one. Is God hiding from David? No. In fact, this same David wrote a song, you know, uh, you know, where can I go that you're not there? He even says, if I descend, uh, uh, you know, to hell, even, you know, if I make my bed in hell, even you're there. And, 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 and the, 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 the idea there is through that, that suffering and that valley and that down time, he's there. He's there on the mountaintop. He's there in the valley. The God of the valley is still God in the mountain and vice versa. He's still there. He's, of course, uh, omnipresent. He knows the beginning from the end, and he, and he knows right where you are at. And to make an accusation like this is quite a foolish thing. But you know one thing I love about David, and I love that God included in Scripture, is David many times gets just brutally honest. You are thinking it, but you may not say this out loud. You may not go to another Christian or another church member and say, say you know, I think God's forgotten me. Because they'll instantly say, oh, ye of little faith. All right, get off your self-righteous high horse. You've struggled too. You've been there too. So we, we wouldn't say this, but I love it that God records it in Scripture because he's going through it. How long will thou forget me? David begins here with this uh, accusation against God. How long you for, forget me, O Lord, forever? Can you imagine accusing God of such things? Can you imagine going boldly to that throne of grace and saying, God, hello, it's me, Aaron. I know you've forgotten, but... We can feel that way sometimes, can't we? Because God never answers as quick as we want. 
situations don't turn around as fast as we want. Especially when we're in the valley. This is how David's feeling, and his feelings are really getting the better of him. By the way, one important takeaway I think we can take from this is this. Uh, It's okay to be open to God about your feelings. In Hebrews, the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, and we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love that those two are attached. We have a high priest. His name is Jesus Christ. He's been touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He's gone through what we go through. He's been tempted like we are yet without sin. Because of this, because he is acquainted with what we have gone through, we may come boldly to the throne of grace, find grace to help uh, in time of need. We can obtain mercy there and find grace to help in time of need. Listen, when you're going through a struggle, when you're going through a difficulty, we come in there and, and, and we don't have to go in there sheepishly in the idea of thinking, Lord, you don't understand this, but it's hard being a human. It's hard living in this world. No, we go in there knowing, and he says, I know it's hard. In fact, when I stepped into that world, they rejected me. They crucified me. I know it's hard. We go in there, and we find mercy. Why? Because we don't deserve it. In fact, because of our sin, because of the the things many times, uh, the struggles we find ourselves going into are just simply our own bad decisions. So that's when we need mercy. And then we find grace to help in time of need. We can go there, and we can be open. Because did you know he already knows what you're going through? He already knows what's in your heart. He already knows what even your thoughts. And, uh, and we don't have to put on for God. We don't have to come to him and speak in, in high English and, uh, and be very eloquent and, uh, and Shakespearean as we come before God. And, and uh, oh, thou almighty creator. You know, we don't have to go to him like that. We can just say, God, help. He knows exactly what that means. You don't have to have some kind of, uh, uh, you know, Hebrew scholarly language. No, no, no. Just cry out to him. In fact, sometimes the cries of our hearts are intelligible. Unintelligible, rather. Uh, one person said this. Um, better for your... Uh, 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 thank you. Better for your heart to be out wor- without words than your words to be without heart. You knew exactly where I was going with that. You know, uh, you know, sometimes God hears just the moan. When all you can do is just cry, and, but your cry is directed. And you're saying, God, would you hear this? You can be honest. You can be open. Lord, I do feel like you're not here. I do feel like these struggles, I'm going through this all alone. You can be honest with him. But David, not only does he make this uh, foolish accusation against God, which his theology, by the way, would destroy that accusation. If you were to ask David, where's God? He'd say, oh, he's here. But in his own heart, in his own private chambers, maybe as he's crying out to him, he says, God, I, I just feel like you're not. You're going to forget me forever? So verse number two, he says, how long shall I take counsel in my soul, having my sorrow, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? He turns to a horrible counselor, his own soul. Hey, beware of the counsel of the soul. Many times we turn inward. 
Many times we turn into uh, what's going on in here, and all, that's all we see. And by the way, that becomes the only lens we start to view things through. All of a sudden, nobody else has problems, only I have problems. Nobody else is going through anything, only I'm going through things. And, and, and I start to counsel in my own soul, how long am I going to go to this awful counselor? By the way, when you go to a counselor, you should go to somebody that might have some answers. When you're saying things like, God, have you forgotten me forever? I guess I'm going to go to my soul. You don't have the answers there. You're discouraged. Your heart's deceiving you. There's, you know, you're, you're, you're even betraying your own theology that, that you know God to be true. You know God to be faithful. You know God to be an ever-present help in time of need. And yet you are saying, uh, whether it be vo- verbally or just in your heart, God's not there. You're betraying your theology. Hey, you'd pass the test if I gave you a test. Is God there? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but your own heart would say, sure hasn't felt like it. We of, like we often do, when in such a bad mental place, David took his problem inward. He began looking within himself. He began counseling his own soul. And Listen, that's just a terrible place to go. Your soul will lead you astray. The counsel will be selfish, and you're going to fall into the woe is me trap. By the way, did you know this is a subtle form of pride? I'm just looking at myself, looking at myself. And we all, you know, we all do. We all examining ourselves and how am I doing? And and there is a a healthy self-assessment. But when that's all we're looking, you say, this isn't pride. I'm feeling really down. Yeah, that's pride. See, pride's not thinking lowly of yourself. Pride is just not thinking of yourself, or uh, humility, rather, is not thinking lowly of yourself. It's just not thinking of yourself. Let's get out of this paradigm, and let's think, you know, what are, what are God's thoughts? Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ. Uh, Philippians 2, here's what the mind of Christ was, who being in the form of God, thought it not Robert to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant. There's the mind of Christ. What does a servant do? It's about others. You see, you get out of that. Remember Job? Job was very depressed. Remember Job? He was very depressed. He cursed the day he was even born. Oh, that I've never been born. I mean, he was full of boils. He lost 10 children. Can you imagine? He lost all his his finances, all his uh, uh, belongings, all this stuff. And he's sitting in boils, covered in boils. His friends come along. And they sit there for days in silence. I can just see Job. Doesn't want to say a word because as soon as he says a word, they're going to start talking. And, and, and the custom was, if you're visiting somebody, they're supposed to have the first word. Somebody's going through a difficulty or whatever, they're supposed to have the first word, then you open up. And, and I can just see Job sitting there. And maybe he, he's not saying a word because he knows they'll start talking. And maybe he shifts his weight just a little because you know, he's uncomfortable and and he sits on one of those boils and just goes, ugh. And one of the friends says, good enough for me. And they start lighting into Job. First friend, boom. Second friend, boom. Third friend, boom. And then Job kind of, you know, I think I've done right. I think I've had my integrity. And, and then they light in again, boom, boom, boom. And they're just, they're just letting into him. His own wife, do you still retain your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? And he's in this horrible, horrible situation, this horrible state. You know when Job finally got out of his depression? It wasn't when he got everything back. It was when God says to him, uh, Job, you have been 
a good servant. He said, uh, why don't you pray for your friends? I'm not going to hear their prayers, but I'll hear your prayers. Why don't you pray for them? And Job prayed for his friends. He didn't, read, he didn't know the end of the story like you and I know the end of the story. He got everything back double, right? You and I know the end of the story. We think, oh, Job, just hang on a little bit longer as we're reading it. Hang on a little bit longer, Job. It's going to turn around. It's going to be good. But when you're living in the present, you don't see the end of the story. As Job was going through it, he didn't see the end of the story. He had no promise of this. And God said, why don't you pray for your friends? Their hearts were obviously way off, off track. Because he fell for the woe is me trap. He fell into that place. How long shall I take counsel in my own soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? What was he looking at? He's looking at that sorrow every day, day in, day out, sorrow, sorrow, sorrow. And that's exactly what takes place. We go down further and deeper into this pit of despair, looking only at your circumstances, looking only at this sorrow that is just multiplying and multiplying. We find no way out. You were just stuck in this place. We go down further and further into that, only examining our circumstances. I'm never getting out of this situation. I'm just stuck here forever. Then he points out who the real enemy is. Or that there is a real enemy. Look at verse number four. Lest my enemy, or lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against him. He kind of points to the enemy in verse number two. He's talking about taking sorrow in his heart. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So not only is he looking at his own heart, but he's comparing himself to his enemy. His enemy, in his estimation, is being exalted um, above himself. Verse four, lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against him, and those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. You know, the Bible tells us that we ought to be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And David says he will, he will, uh, um, uh, uh, what does it say there? Um, <clears throat> he'll rejoice when I'm moved. He'll say that he has prevailed against me. And he's looking at this almost like a competition. He's being exalted above me. He's going to uh, over, come, come, come ahead of me and he's going to be blessed. And again, we're really looking out here at the service. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> By the way, life's not a competition. <clears throat> Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians, he, he talked about, you know, they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. When we're, when we're making these comparisons and, uh, man, you know, they're getting ahead. And, you know, uh, David in another psalm was pointing out this saying, why do the, why do the r- wicked prosper? Why does it seem like ungodly people do so well? And then he said this, then I remembered their end. Folks them doing well in this world is the best they'll ever enjoy. It's the closest to heaven they'll ever get. The worst you and I experience in this world is the closest to hell we'll ever get if you're saved today. It gets better. The sufferings of this life are not worthy to be compared to the riches that shall be revealed in us or the glory that shall be revealed in us. Not worthy to be compared. And Paul, Paul goes on to say, it's, it's for but a season. This suffering, which is for a season. These hardships, the, these things that we have to endure, it's a season. But really, what is your life? 
as even a vapor, it appears for a little while, then it vanishes away. There's a real enemy. We don't know for certain what David was going through in this reference and, and uh, many things we can speculate. We just don't have a lot of information about Psalm 13. But, uh, but what we do know is in David's life, there were many times where he had some very serious enemies. He was the king's armor bearer. And he loved the king, and he was a faithful armor bearer. And the king, quite frankly, was very blessed to have David by his side. David was a man of God. David prayed. David was skillful at playing an instrument that when Saul was troubled with an evil spirit, David would just come in and he would play his harp for, for the king and, uh, and, and the, the evil spirit would leave. David was a man of war and he's a valiant man. He was the giant slayer. David was, was a man's man and he was a musician and you can be both, amen? Yet Saul, in his insecurity, taking his eyes off the Lord, got big in his own eyes, saw David as a threat. And when his greatest ally he tries to kill, throws the javelin at him, Saul hunted him. His own son tried to overthrow the kingdom, take the kingdom from his dad, turned the hearts of the people and, uh, and tried to overthrow as he's driven with bitterness and rage um, uh, against his own father and he tried to overthrow. There was a time uh, in the same story where his own, one of his nearest counselors betrayed him. There are times he had, he had some very severe enemies, and we don't know who this enemy was, but, but, but he's dealing with a very real enemy. And, and uh, you know, I just want to say this. You and I, we have a very real enemy. And if you're saved, the devil has already lost you for eternity, but he say, he'll still may render your life ineffective. He still wants to, to rob you of your fruit, and he wants to take you, your effectiveness away. He wants to take your joy. The thief comes but to still kill and destroy What's he trying to do? He's trying to uh, do that any way he can. Your life is now to be lived for the glory of God, and Satan hates to bring God glory. If you fall and you stay down in this state, the enemy will say, I've prevailed against him. I've prevailed against him. See, we're in a warfare, and, and whether or not you choose to fight, you're still in the battle. You can choose to sit on the sideline. You can choose not to engage. The enemy will destroy you anyway. He takes no prisoners, and he doesn't play fair. We, uh, uh, we, are, we are in this warfare. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, Ephesians 6.12. Many times the battle, by the way, is in our minds. The devil also will send thoughts, and he'll send these, the, the, the way of thinking, and we get trapped. We get caught up in stinking thinking. And we're stuck there. And we're taking counsel in our soul. And all we're thinking about is our sorrow. And we're thinking about the, the struggles we're going through. And, and the enemy's saying, you just keep thinking that. You keep thinking that. You stay down. The Bible talks about the, 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 dart, the darts of the devil. And he sends our way. What is that? We need the, the helmet of salvation to block those. Why? Because that's where it's after. It's after our thinking. We need to put on our foil hats <laughs> and block those thoughts. The devil is going to deceive. That's what he does. In fact, the Bible says when the devil is bound for that thousand years in Revelation that he should deceive the nations no more. What does he do? He deceives. He, he causes us to think on things we ought not to think on. 
He pulls us down into this pit of despair and we're stuck there and we feel like God's abandoned us and we feel like there's no way out and he's laughing because he says, I have prevailed against you. I may have lost you for eternity. You are saved, but you are going to be fruitless while you stay down. You're not going to be a servant. You're not going to be victorious, but you're going to be a victim and you're going to be stuck. And he laughs. David says, this is an important thing. In fact, verse number three. Consider and hear me, O Lord, my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. You ever been so beat down that you're having trouble sleeping? And when you don't sleep for an extended period of time, your eyes are getting heavy. But it's not... Sleep is not going to fix it because it's like the more you sleep, the more tired you are, and those eyes are heavy. And, uh, and he says, lighten mine eyes. If I keep going on this path, I'm going to sleep the sleep of death. This is kind of poetic talk, but he says, this is going to consume me. I'm going to be done. God, I need you to intervene. And, uh, and furthermore, i got these enemies, and they're rising up. And, and I don't want them to, to rejoice when I'm moved. I don't want them to rejoice when I'm, when I'm uh, rendered ineffective. Many times this battle in the mind, uh, you start believing the devil's lies. The Bible says that the devil is a liar from the beginning. Where do lies come from? They come from their father. You know, I tell my children that uh, when they're caught in a lie, I ask them, where do lies come from? Who is, who's known as the father of lies? The devil. All right, so who are we obeying when we lie? Jesus. We start believing those lies. The Bible says that he's a, he's a slanderer. He's an accuser of the brethren. He will, he'll love to keep us taking counsel in our own soul because in there is going to be a great place to keep perpetuating lies and to keep us down. And You are nothing and you are unworthy and you, and you can't go before that great holy God because, uh, because you're down. And, you, you know. and by the way, let me just say this. There is some truth. All lie, good lies have some truth. The reality is you and I aren't worthy. But Christ makes us worthy. And the blood of Christ, and what He has done, He has purchased our access into the throne room of God. We have a right to go there. But He says, nope. What makes you think you can go there? You think God wants you to go there while you're depressed? You think God wants you to go there while you're struggling with this closet sin? You think God wants you to go there while you're bitter? You think God, wants, God doesn't want you there? That stuff's putrefying to God. Hey, what once was putrefying to God has been washed in the blood. When you go in there, that baggage doesn't fall. And you come there and you say, I need some grace, God. I need some grace. Then welcome to the throne of grace. The purpose is to dispense said grace. You've come to the right place. But if the devil can keep us there in our, because of our thinking, keep us from going there because of uh, taking counsel in our own soul, he's won. But I love what David does. But... I have trusted in thy mercy. Rejoice in thy salvation. You know, what, you know what he's doing here? He went from dwelling on his feelings to making some fact statements. Hey, folks, in this day and age, we need facts over feelings. <laughs> I, love what, uh, I love what Ben Shapiro always says. Facts don't care about your feelings. 
we need to rest in some facts, right? What's another word for a fact, by the way? Truth. Truth. Where do we find truth? Sanctify them through thy truth. Jesus said, thy word is truth. We go to the word of God, the unchanging, the, 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 the absolute final authority for us, uh, the word given to us by God himself, by given by inspiration and kept to us, uh, for us by preservation. God says, here is my word. Job said, uh, I esteem thy word better than my necessary meat, my necessary food. The Word of God is the most important thing. And we come here, and that's where we establish, that's where we settle truth. We take all the philosophies of this world, we take all these ideas, and we bring them uh, captive into the obedience of Christ. We say, let, let this be the filter which we view everything. This is truth. The Word of God. Facts over feelings. He says, when I trusted thy mercy, my heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. Uh, I've trusted in his mercy. He comes back to this thing. And uh, by the way, I love it when there's a great contrast that takes place. It's all negative, 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 negative. Then he says, but great, uh, <coughs> excuse me, one of the greatest conjunctions in the Bible. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I love the conjunction. He says, but I've trusted in thy mercy. Things are about to turn around when, when that's thrown in there. The thing, the thing with David, this man after God's own heart, was that when his feelings betrayed him, his theology triumphed. I feel this way, but I know for a fact I've trusted in your mercy. I feel this way, but I know for a fact that I've... Uh, um, that, 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 that you are the God of my salvation. In fact, I rejoice in thy salvation. He cannot stay down. He begins speaking truth to himself instead of wallowing in the lies. Instead of taking counsel with his soul, he begins to counsel his soul. Hey, remember soul, you have trusted in God. Remember soul, you've rejoiced in his salvation. Remember soul, this is the same God that cannot lie, that cannot change his mind. He's not going to take back your salvation. He loves you. He's purchased you with his own blood. This is that God. And you've been counseling in your soul. Who is this God and what does he even think about me? Well, I'll tell you what he thinks about me. I am now accepted in the beloved because of Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God and he invites me to come to the throne room. And we, we, we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we've received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. That's what he has done. And so I began counseling my soul. I began telling myself, you don't belong down there. It is a lie from the devil that God's not hearing you, that God has forgotten you. In fact, you go to God again, and you tell him who he is, and you tell him who you are, and you come in there, and you say, God, I need something from you today. And you back there. You get back there. How, how do you do that? You speak, you speak truth to yourself. I've trusted in thy mercy. What a bold truth. Oh, the mercies of God. Oh, that will change a heart. <laughs> See, he didn't start trusting God's mercy here. He didn't say, then I started trusting your mercy, and I realized you haven't forgotten me. No, no, he says, but I've trusted your mercy. He goes back to that point in time. He remembered that he has trusted, and sometimes we just need to go back to when we first believed. The church at Ephesus, Jesus was... Uh, Commending them for some things, but then he said, but I've got a problem. If someone against thee, you've left your first love. Repent, therefore, and do thy first work. And then he says, go back to the beginning. Go back to where you started. 
Sometimes it's good to rehearse our salvation. It's good to rehearse our testimony. That, that moment when, when you trusted Christ and Him alone to be your Savior, to wash away your sins. And go back. Remember what that was all about. Remember what it cost Jesus Christ to purchase your salvation. And then ask yourself this question. Does God love me? You cannot think about Calvary and question if God loves you. But God commended His love toward us while we are yet sinners. Christ died for us. What a display of love. Remember, when you could not believe, you were just astonished, could not believe that God would save a wretch like you. What a refreshing thought. He says here in verse 5, My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. When we go back and we rehearse salvation that we receive from the Lord, how, how, how our countenance is lightened, how our eyes are lightened, how, how, we, how, how refreshing that is. We say, you know what, the worst day that I could live in this life is still far better than I deserve. God is so good. How that joy returns. And David, David's change comes when he stopped focusing on his feelings and started speaking the truth to himself. He preached to his soul. Sometimes we need to just preach to our soul a little bit. So what are you doing? You're taking me off track. Here's the truth. Here's what God has said in his word. And we go back to the truth. And then that leads, verse number 8, to an encouraging song. I'm sorry, verse number 6. I will sing unto the Lord. Why? Because he hath dealt bountifully with me. He hath dealt bountifully with me. He says, I will sing. The determination that though he had been down and though he felt God had forgotten him, he cannot deny the fact that he has been blessed, that, that God has saved him, that he has experienced his mercy. Uh, he can't deny it. Why would we sing to the Lord? It's a question to, uh, that, that, that was pondered. And as he thought on God's mercy, he thought on God's salvation, he became aware of his tremendous blessing. Hey, there's a reason to sing. There's a reason to sing. I like that song, His Eyes on the Sparrow. And the, the chorus there says, I sing because I'm happy. I'm gonna, I better not sing, I'm congested. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. Hey, when you feel forgotten, hey, he even remembers the birds. And that gives me something to sing about. I, I sing about the mercies. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever I will sing. He thinks about these things and he contemplates the, on these things. Psalm 88, uh, 68, verse 19, the Bible says he daily loadeth us with benefits. Hey, there's some benefits from the Lord and daily he loads it on. Daily he loads it on. Hey, did you get up today? Did you wake up with this panic attack like, oh no, I don't know where any food's coming from today. I don't think anyone in this room had that trouble. But you know there are a lot of people in this world that had that trouble today. I don't think you woke up today thinking, oh no, are we going to be able to stay in this house? Oh no, are the kids going to be able to eat? Oh no, do we have a place to sleep tonight? Oh no. And by the way, there may be times when those things come. But when we, when we forget about this, what God has done for us, and we start thinking that it's all up to me, and it's all, you know, we, 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 we get in this trap, but, but the Bible tells us He daily loaded us with benefits. Beyond all these things, you know, uh, um, 
the fact that God would save a sinner like, like David as he thinks about his mercy and make him righteous and receive him as his own is truly beyond comprehension. It leads to singing. Beyond that, we begin to think about those physical bl- uh, blessings that God gives. How could we not sing? How could we ever accuse God of forgetting us? How, uh, you know, uh, I love um, Thomas uh, uh, Kishlam's song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's as though he sat down to put a list together of, you know, I want to sit down and just put a list of these blessings that God's given me and, and the things of gratitude. And he's kind of writing this down. And the last stanza of the song says, Pardon for sin. <laughs> Talks about God's faithfulness. Peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. And it's, it's as though he just puts down his pen and paper and he says, this list is going to go forever. These blessings all mine and 10,000 beside. Great is thy faithfulness. And, and he's encouraged in the Lord because, man, look what God has done. Have you ever just stopped for a minute, count your blessings, name them one by one, count your many blessings and see what God has done. I think about the wife God gave me that I do not deserve and the children God gave me that I do not deserve and this church that I get to be a part of that I do not deserve and, and then the, just the wonderful people he surrounded me with and, and the things in my life, uh, these blessings I don't deserve. Great is his faithfulness. What do I deserve? I deserve God's judgment. I deserve God's face against me. You know how much I have wronged this God? Yet he loves me. His mercies are new every morning. One thing I've noticed about David's song is many times he begins with a great problem, great despair. Yet he turns upward for his answer. Lord, you're my shield, you're my buckler, you're my defender, you're my refuge. And all these, all these things are described to the Lord in a very triumphant way in his life. God, I've got these problems, my enemies are always against me, I've got, I'm in this pit of despair, and he's thinking, what am I looking here? Lord, I remember some things. I remember your mercy, I remember uh, that I've trusted in you, I remember your salvation. He would always end it with God being his divine helper. He would always end it with, uh, with this, this idea of, of where that comes from, coming back to God's goodness. And what ends up happening? We begin to sing about him. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, Psalm 3.3, my glory and the lifter of my head. Hey, remember God's goodness. There are times when you're in that pit of despair. Start taking account. Choose facts over feelings. Don't charge God foolishly. Don't, 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 don't uh, uh, let your, your thoughts get the better of you, but come back to what is true, what is right. And you know what's going to help? Why don't you sing a song or two? Well, I just, I really don't sing well. You know, I love it. The prerequisite to sing to God is this. It must be joyful and it must be a noise. It doesn't say anything about it being pleasant or melodic. Or beautiful, just go make a noise joyfully. Or come up to God like a sweet smelling incense. He says, I, I smell that, I, I hear that. I'm here. The Bible tell, tells us God inhabits the praises of his people. There's something about us just kind of singing, just kind of getting back to that place. Well, I don't know what to sing. Okay, maybe just read God's words back to him. Maybe just read a psalm or two. Maybe open just one of the hymnals, some of these great hymns of the faith. 
Maybe when you're down, maybe, maybe consider the testimony of Horatio Spafford as he, as he wrote, It is well with my soul after losing his children in one foul swoop and losing his son, losing his business. And he said, he said when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot that was taught me to say, it is well with my soul. And then think about God's faithfulness. And, and we, as, as we just read, great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. What a wonderful God we have. Turn it to singing. Hey, if it worked for Saul when that evil spirit came upon Saul and some good godly music helped turn his heart around, imagine what it'll do if we begin singing in our church. Be not drunk as wine when it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Turn that heart around. Turn that pit of despair around. Folks, do you really believe we are more than conquerors through him that loved us? And quit wallowing in the pit of despair. Start guiding your own heart. Start leading your own heart. Maybe it's been a while since you put your nose in the book of truth. Tell you what. When I've uh, neglected God's word very quickly. By the way, communication is two-way. If I get from his word, I better talk to him. If he talks to me, I better talk to him. If I start neglecting my prayer life, I start falling in that pit of despair. I don't have a source, the fresh well of living water to begin speaking truth to myself yet again. And it is amazing when you're going through a struggle, how God just might lead you. It may not even be in the text, but God says, hey, here's something for you. I say, thank you, Lord. You truly have been faithful. I don't know what you're going through right now. Maybe, maybe no one is having any difficulty with their thought life today, and uh, this is just for me. But, uh, but maybe God has put his finger on some things that you're going through, you're struggling with. Hey, maybe it's time to start speaking some truth to yourself. Why don't we take just a few moments in prayer. If God has done something in your heart, uh, talk to the Lord about it. God, I've been taking counsel in my soul, and I...